0: Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The guard shut the iron door me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Today's episode is, is like that um, like that backwater in between high tide and low tide where you're not sure if the The rivers going out or coming in. This is the week I've had. I I really can't tell what's happening. I have no direction. I have no plan. It just seems like, you know, the wind's blowing one way and then another way and then another way and then another way. And And I, I don't really know what I'm up to this week. And so this podcast is going to demonstrate that quite vividly for you, I'm sure because it's a disjointed mess i you know it'd be nice if i had everything all planned out and i had a had a good topic and i had me an outline to work from but today i just simply don't have that but nonetheless i i still think it's going to be an interesting podcast because there are some important things in this episode and the first and most important thing in today's episode is to give my personal thanks once again to that very exclusive club hanging out in my patreon patrons imaginary lounge that would be ben craig dj gina lori mike good old pat span and tom i mentioned pat span uh, first and last name and i will do that to any of the others if they send me an email and say yeah it's it's okay I don't want to do that. I'm just using first names only except for Pat because I've already done it once. The cat's out of the bag. Pat Span. uh, I'll give him a little plug here. He runs, owns, and operates a little pizza place and pool hall uh, here in America's Georgia called Pat's Place. And it's the place. I mean, it is the place to hang out and eat good food. Listen to bluegrass on Tuesday nights, and I've been talking to him recently about starting a jam session. Oh my god. I'm I must be crazy. I think this will be the fourth or fifth time that I've attempted to start up. No, not attempted, actually did start up, you know, uh come one, come all, let's have a bluegrass jam. So I'm in talks with Pat. He he's cool with doing it. So It may be very soon that I'm announcing that to the local pickers around here starting a bluegrass jam, an open jam there at Pat's place. So that's coming. And Pat, if you're listening, thanks. I'll talk to you soon about that thing. going to probably do it after the 4th of July and starting then in the hottest time of the year. All right. Now, let me turn the page. I also have to thank... You know, I talk about the patrons, and let me tell you, I am extremely thankful for the patrons. That says a lot. It just really says a lot. It's You know, I I like it if you're listening to the podcast and enjoying it. I like that. That's great. I like it if you're listening to the podcast and enjoying it, and you tell somebody else about it. You know, I would, I would really like to challenge each and every one of you. First of all, let me say this. Bluegrass cannot be played or experienced in isolation. Now, maybe you're in isolation. Maybe you're in that weather station in Antarctica or whatever. Maybe you are isolated or maybe you just don't know anybody. But it's not going to be that long long. And if you've been doing this at all, you know some other bluegrass pickers. And I'm just going to ask you flat out. I'm going to ask you for your help, and it costs you nothing. And that is simply, if you've been listening and you like the show, tell someone else. Just Here, I'll tell you what to say. Just pull up your, your, uh, your contacts list. And uh, open a blank email and start scrolling through your contacts and find somebody, somebody, somebody who plays bluegrass music or might want to. That's all it is. Either play it or you might want to play it. It's that's who it is. So you find, oh, yeah, Bob here, Bob. I'll pull up address to Bob and you could see, see some other people if you think of any others. Dear Bob, I've been listening to this podcast called Grass Talk Radio. The guy is half crazy, but he seems like he's been doing this a long time, and he's got a lot of interesting ideas, and I think you might enjoy it. Here's a link to his show, grasstalkradio.com. That's it. Thought you might enjoy that. See you at the next picking, Sam. And hit send. If you'll do that, you know, if everybody listening would do that, I would actually see it in the uh, statistics of downloads. It costs nothing. It costs nothing. And it actually helps the bluegrass world because they may not know about this. They may find, if you like it, I mean, if you're sitting here listening to this now, you must like it. So it's not beyond comprehension to think that someone else might like it too, you know? So tell them about it. If you're in a Bluegrass group, tell the other members. If you go to a jam, tell the other people. You know, that costs nothing. And it helps me. And it helps Bluegrass. Because if this is valuable, it might be valuable to them. Okay, enough about that. That's all you got to do. You don't have to be a patron. I love the patrons, and that money... Let me tell you, it really makes a difference. (laughs) you got to make a living. you got to eat. So it does make a difference. But when you spread the word, maybe somebody else will come along and be the patron. You know what I'm saying? Now, I also want to mention that I do get the Grass Talk Radio supporters still to this day. Once in a while, every week or two, somebody goes and... Becomes a grass talk radio supporter. And that's that one time. Just kick in any amount you want. And, you know, thanks for doing it. Blah, blah, blah. And that's on the show notes page of every episode. And I have to say thanks to Dave Heron, who is the most recent grass talk radio supporter. Thanks, Dave. I see you, brother. And I appreciate you. I really appreciate it. Because... You know, I got bills to pay, I got banjo strings to buy, and I'm saving up for a new set of strings for my bass. Plus all the other things. You know how it goes. I had enough begging and all that kind of stuff. Let me read you a little quote. I have a book that I've I've been rereading. It's called How the Mind Works. Mostly I've been reading it trying to understand why I'm so screwed up. No, I'm just kidding. This book is written by a guy named Steven Pinker. And, you know, PhD egghead, you know, philosopher, you know, but I do like his books. At least he he writes in a style that is is fun. I'm not saying I agree with everything Steven Pinker ever said, but this particular sentence, do you remember back a while ago, I said I had this little card file, little three by five index cards, and when I would encounter something that just like conked me over the head. And I was like, man, that's, that's really, that's really uh, salient. Then I would write it down. And then I just put in that little file box for thinking on later, you know, well, this is one of them. And I was reading through this book and Steven Pinker in how the mind works on page 138. He said this, and I quote, solving a problem, In a hundred years is, practically speaking, the same as not solving it at all. Life is a series of deadlines. Now, let's think about that a minute. That says something about time, lifespans, mortality. Solving a problem in a hundred years is practically speaking the same as not solving it at all. Now, my wife immediately brought up when I mentioned this. She said, "Well, you're not thinking of future de- generations, you're just thinking of your own." Well, who doesn't, you know? And so, you know, we might manipulate this into saying solving one of your personal problems. In a hundred years, it's practically speaking the same as not solving it at all. And the life is a series of deadlines. It is. I mean, you know, if you're attempting to become a better mandolin player or a better dobro player, okay, you've got this goal and you're working towards it. But but if you accomplish that, you know, a hundred years from today, you're probably not going to live to see it. I mean, that's the point. If you think about these things in terms of limited time, this is a limited time offer. Then it means you you got to get off your butt and get to work. Don't wait. Don't wait. I mean, I always tell my wife, I say, you know, I could be run over by a bus tomorrow. Well, I won't probably be run over by a bus because... We don't have a lot of buses around here. I'm more likely to be run over by a log truck, you know, carrying some pulpwood truck steaming down talent store road. And I pull out in front of it. That's the sort of thing that's more likely to happen or hit a deer or something or the deer hit me. But the thing is, we're all living in this limited time offer. It's a limited time offer. You got one lifetime and we're not even going to state exactly how long that lifetime is. I got an email the other day from a guy who said he was 80 years old and he was taking up the mandolin and he was some questions about some of my stuff. And when I wrote him back, I said, you know what? You're in a really good position because, you know, with luck, you've got at least 20 years to learn to play that thing. Now, admittedly, that's with luck, but, you know, the thing is, we know it's limited. It's a limited time offer. We know that. So that's a great reason to don't wait until tomorrow and don't say, well, you know, in in a couple of years, maybe I'll, you know, no, get on it. Get on things. Don't put off till tomorrow what you could do today. Is that poor Richard's almanac? And so that got me thinking about. So, if you're going to do that, if you're going to get off your butt and get busy and really try to make some progress here as soon as possible, aside from, you know, using my lesson materials and videos, if you're going to do that, what is the first step? And so I thought about something. I thought, a lot of people, when they are trying to play an instrument or trying to learn to play an instrument, they're trying to get good on it. I, I, I want to be good on the mandolin. I want to be good on the bass. I want to I be a good singer. I want to be a good fiddle player. I want to be a, you name it, trying to be good. And I was thinking my typical contrarian mindset, and I thought, maybe let's think about this differently. Your first step is not to be good. Well, let let me ask it this way. Which is easier, to be good or to not be bad? I would say not being bad is easier than being good. And this could... uh, refer to behavior as well. I can ask my son to be good or I could just say don't be bad, you know? That's easier. It's easier to be bad because then there's all that neutral ground in the middle. You know, you go from bad to eh, you know, all the way up the scale to good and great and fabulous and all that. I think it's smart to say When you're starting out and when you're trying to improve, your goal, I think, should be to not be bad. That's goal number one. Don't be bad. I said this when I was talking about my bass playing, and I'm sure Jeff Moser would disagree with this, but I've said this regarding my bass playing, that my number one goal in playing whenever I'm playing bass is don't play a wrong note. That's, That's goal one. Now, I don't always achieve that, But that is goal one, which means don't be bad. And then my second goal is play the notes that I play in time. So don't play wrong notes and play in time. Well, if you do that, if you don't play wrong notes and you play in time, you're not going to sound bad. So that's where you start. Forget the runs. Forget the the fancy licks and the the creative lines and the harmonic genius that you have sprouting out of your cerebrum forget all that unless you've got those down play the play a correct note a, a note that is at least viewed to be correct you know like if if you're playing bluegrass bass and, and it's going along in the key of G. You're on bass, you're going to play a G and a D, and a G and a D. There are other options, yes, but basically that's what you're going to do. So you're playing the G, and you're playing the D. Now, if you play a G sharp and a D flat, people will call that a wrong note. Now, you know, there are times you can do that. I'm not here to discuss that. But think about that. Which is easier, to be good or to not be bad. I say start with don't be bad, or you could put it this way: to be a great picker or to suck. It's easier to not suck than it is to be great. So, start thinking about what are the things that make uh, the when you see somebody playing that makes you think they don't play that good. They're 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 bad. That guy's bad. Well, write those things down. Think about them and say, Well, I'm not going to do that. Don't be like my brother. Here, I'll, I'll give you a different example. Which is easier, to be beautiful or to not be ugly? I'd say it's easier for the average person. I'm not talking about those New York models. It's easier to not be ugly than it is to be beautiful. Some people are never going to be beautiful, and I'm one of those. I'll never be beautiful. And I may be ugly at times, but it's easier to work on that end of the scale. Just don't be ugly. And then you're going to be, like, right there in the middle, you know? And that's a good, good place to continue growing from. Here's another example. Which is easier to be smart or to not be dumb? So which one? Which one do you think? I think it's easier to not be a doofus than to try to be a genius. You know, so start there. Well you gotta think, well, how do I not how do I not be dumb? What do dumb people do? How do dumb people think? How do dumb people act? Well don't do that. And that puts you in the neutral territory. And then you can think, well, what do smart people do? And how do you know and then you can work towards that. So start I know it's a negative way of thinking. It's negative thinking to I'm thinking negatively, don't be bad, you know. But you know what? If you're not bad, that's a positive. Being not bad, he you know he ain't bad, so just just some thoughts there. I know this is very random and weird, but I was reading that book, and I saw that, and those thoughts came to my mind, and hopefully that they will be of some use to you in your playing, so just make your goal. let's say you're a band member. well, you don't have to worry about being a great band member, you know the pillar, the stalwart of the band the you know, the one everybody counts on, the one who carries the show. No, don't worry about that first. Worry about not being the louse who shows up late, who doesn't know the material, who doesn't put the time in, who doesn't pay attention to the audience. Don't be that guy, you know. So start there. Wipe away that lower end, you know, of the uh, spectrum of greatness. Greatness. All right, that is it for the main topic. However, I'm far from being done. I also want to, well, let's just do this right now. I've been talking to my son. He he's been coming around saying, "Dad, I, you know, what could I do? What could I do? I need some I need something to do. I, you know, I want to make some money." I'm like, "Son, so do I." <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy. No, so I'm I sit him down. I go, "Well, I'll tell you what." I got an idea for you. I've been thinking about doing this and I've been, you know, putting notes and thoughts together about doing a little bluegrass history thing. I said, I'll tell you what, if you would like to uh, set up a database and go through this stack of books, which I gave you and create a database where you've got, you know, field one, the year, field two, the The main point and field three is like some notes and the source and create this little database and go through all these things. We're going to create a bluegrass history. So just grab a fact, put the year, put the date, put what it is, you know, Bill Monroe was born and then say a little something about that and build this database. Then we'll sort it by year and then we can do a little segment of the podcast Something like, you know, this year in bluegrass history or or something. So I hit him with this idea. He immediately took off and started working on it. And of course, I've obligated myself to pay him $5 per episode whenever he finishes his segment. And I've already done that for the first one. So I said, well, make me one sample to show me that you can do it. And... I'll stick it on the next podcast. So he got busy working. This is his entire creation. I did not stand over him. I did not advise him uh, short of what I just told you about a database. And, you know, so, um, anyway, let's listen to this. This is the, well, before we do it, I want to ask you to do something more for Jackson than for myself. If you enjoy this little segment, send me an email, go to BradleyLaird.com and at the very top, you'll see contact hit contact and you can send me an email, send me an email and in the subject line, put something like, you know, Jackson's bluegrass history, something like that. So I'll spot it and just If you like the idea, just say so. And if you don't like the idea, don't send the email. I just, I'd like to, if you like what he's doing, tell me so I can show it to him. Might get him a little excited about continuing it. You know, if he gets 25 emails this week, you know, going, wow, that was really cool. You know, kid, keep going, kid, you know, um, Anyway, so let's listen to the first sample issue of This Year in Bluegrass created entirely. And by the way, he it, it, for you tech people, you don't have to have a $2,000 computer. He made this entire thing on a Raspberry Pi computer, which costs maybe 35 bucks plus the little case you put it in. This thing is the size of a deck of cards. And you plug it into the TV. It's got four USB ports, HDMI, Bluetooth. I think it's got Ethernet. This is a full-blown computer in a, just on a little printed circuit board. If you've never heard of it, check out Raspberry Pi. And he found out that they have Audacity. And of course, they got browsers and just anything you want to do. I think it runs Linux. Anyway, he's a Raspberry Pi guy, and he's like, I can record this on my uh, Raspberry Pi. So he launches Audacity, and he plugs his headphones in there, which has a microphone on it, USB headset, and uh, this is it. So he he did this, edited it, did the whole thing himself. This is the first sample episode, and you guys let me know if you want more of them. Of This Year in Bluegrass with Jackson Laird.
1: Welcome, Grass Talk Radio listeners, to the introductory episode of This Year in Bluegrass with Jackson Laird. In this introductory episode, I will walk you through the pre Bluegrass Boys life of Bill Monroe. Let's get right into it. Howdy, folks, and welcome to the first episode of This Year in Bluegrass with Jackson Laird. Before this episode officially starts, my dad, who is the host of the Grass Talk Radio podcast, would like me to read this story out of the book, Howdy, Folks, Howdy, Volume 1, Stories of Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys by The Men Who Wore the Hats, compiled by Doug Hutchins. Now, this story is called Howdy, Bill, by Gordon Terry. Here I go. Early on, during the time I was with Bill, he taught me a lot. He could teach you things in a way that you don't even know that he is teaching it to you. One night at the Opry in the dressing room, Bill always played 10,000 tunes, but he would never run over what we were going to do on the Opry that night. I hadn't been with him but a short time when we went out and played a tune that I didn't even know. He kicked it off on the mandolin, sang the first chorus, and he turned around and nodded to me. I thought, well, that's odd. We just shook hands and said howdy back stage a while ago. Bill got a little disturbed, you could tell. He'd get that mandolin up and hold it in front of the mic, getting up on that front foot and toe. You could tell by the way he was playing if he wasn't happy about something. But I didn't know it was me. He sang the second verse and nodded at me again. I didn't know what he meant got back to the dressing room, he said. Boy, when I nod at you, you better play something even if it's wrong. From then on, when he nodded, I'd grab me a handful of fiddle. It probably wasn't right, but he didn't get mad at you if you gave it a shot. Now that that's all done with, let's get to the history at hand, beginning with Bill Monroe's birth. Bill Monroe was born on his family farm near Rosine, Kentucky. He was the youngest of eight children. He was born on September 13, 1911, to James Buchanan Buck Monroe and Melissa Vandiver Monroe. Monroe's mother died when he was 10, followed by his father in 1926. Eventually, he decided to settle with Uncle Pendleton Vandiver, who was immortalized by one of Monroe's compositions, Uncle Pen. Recorded in 1950 in the 1972 album, Bill Monroe's Uncle Penn. Also significant in Monroe's musical life was Arnold Schultz, an influential fiddler and guitarist who introduced Monroe to the blues. In 1929, Monroe moved to Indiana to work at an oil refinery with his brothers Bert and Charlie and a childhood friend, William Old Hickory Hardin. Together with a friend, Larry Moore, they formed the Monroe Brothers to play at local dances and house parties. Eventually, Birch and Larry left the group, and Bill and Charlie carried on as a duo, eventually winning spots, performing live on radio stations. First in Indiana, then sponsored by Texas Crystals, on several radio broadcasts. From 1934 to 1936, eventually, RCA Victor signed the Monroe Brothers, a recording contract in 1936. They scored an immediate hit single with the gospel song, What Would You Give in Exchange for Your Soul, an ultimate record... Ultimately, recorded 60 tracks for Victor's Bluebird label between 1936 and 1938. Then, disaster! The Monroe Brothers were disbanded in 1938. Bill Monroe formed a group called the Kentuckians in Little Rock, Arkansas, but the group only lasted for three months. Monroe then left the Little Rock for Atlanta, Georgia to form the first edition of Bluegrass Boys with singer-guitarist Cleo Davis, filler Art Wooten, and bassist Amos Garin. Bill had wanted Old Hickory to become one of the original members of his Bluegrass Boys, however William Harden had to decline. In October 1939, Monroe successfully auditioned for a regular spot on the Grand Ole Opry, impressing Opry founder George D. Hay with this energetic performance of Jimmy Rogers' Mule Skinner Blues. Monroe recorded that song, along with seven others, at his first solo recording session for RCA Victor in 1940. By this time, the Bluegrass Boys consisted of singer-guitarist Clyde Moody, filler Tommy Magnus, and bassist Will- Bi- Bill Westbrooks. While the fast tempos and instrumental virtu- virtuosity carry characteristic of bluegrass music are apparent even in these early tracks, Monroe was still experimenting with the sound of his group. He seldom sang vocals on his Victor recordings, often preferring to contribute high tenor harmonies as he had in the Monroe Brothers. A 1945 session for Columbia Records featured an accordion, soon dropped from the band. Most importantly, while Monroe added banjo player David Stringbean Aikman to the bluegrass Boys in 1942, Aikman played the instrument in a relatively primitive style and was rarely featured in the instrumental solo. Monroe's pre-1946 recordings represent a transitional style between the string band tradition from which he came and the musical innovation to follow. I hope you've enjoyed this introductory episode to This Year in Bluegrass. I'm your host, Jackson Laird, and I'll see you in the next episode. Well, even if there is one because well this is just not an, an idea that me and my dad had so listen around for another one i'll see you in the next episode
0: you know that's pretty cool the kid the kid speaks well he's he's good i told him hey maybe you should just take over the podcast entirely well we were, we've also been fooling around let me tell you one more thing before i let you go for this week I have um, been trying for a good while to get Jackson interested in playing and singing some bluegrass. And he's very busy taking piano lessons and stuff. And this is one of those weird dinks that happens. I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe if I, cause he knows how to read music notation. I thought, well, if I write out a little duet of a simple bluegrass song I'll write out the lead and I'll write out the tenor and I can, then he can play it on the piano and learn the tenor part and I'll sing the lead part and we can practice it up and maybe I'll get him to hold the mail and maybe make a few chop chords and so on. And you know, if he finds out that it's fun, then he might want to keep doing it. You know what I'm saying? So I digging through the bluegrass fake book and different things trying to think of what's a, what's a, what's a good little tune. And I came up with new river train riding on that new river train because the lyrics are simple because they're very repetitious. And, uh, so I wrote out the lead part and then I wrote out, wrote out the tenor part I showed it to him and I get him to sing it with me a couple times. And I was playing the chords on the piano and we're just singing it. And then we sang it over the phone for my my wife's mother last night. Well, today I got up and I said, hey, Jackson, let's record that thing. So we got in here with the old Boss BR-8, set up a microphone, and we recorded it. But here's the weird thing, the coincidence that I want to tell you about. Yesterday, when my wife took him to his piano lesson, he came home and he come running in the house. I got something important to tell you. I got to show you this. I got to show you. I got to show you this. You won't believe what, what's in my piano book. So he's got the Alfred's Premier Piano Course, book three, I think. I, I may be wrong on which book it is. He's he's somewhere up around, you know, level three or four in piano lessons, and he comes running to me, flipping through the pages. He's like, Look at this, read this, look at this, look at this. And he flips open the page, and there in his Alfred's P- Premier Piano course is the song. New River Train, same song. Man, was he excited. And what a weird coincidence. Why did I choose that tune? I have no idea. So now he's learning it on the piano, too. But anyway, we got together and recorded this thing. This is me singing the lead, pretty croaky lead singing, I'll tell you. We're doing it in the key of B, and it's Jackson singing tenor. And so we're going to go out this show with, oh, and by the way, (laughs) <laughs> I always do that. I'm going to uh scan this single sheet. In case you're trying to learn how to harmonize and you want to learn how to put a, a lead and tenor together, because that's where it starts, and then the baritone fills in the blanks. I will put a PDF of this tune up on the show notes page. So just go to grasstalkradio.com, slide down to this episode and click the link on that page, I will put the two vocal parts for this duet of New River Train. And you can transpose it into whatever key you want to once you got the gist of it. So here we go. Uh, sorry about this being such a disjointed episode. My wife and son are taking a little road trip. And I intend to uh, really knock out some episodes here while they're gone. Um, next, starting next week. I uh, may, you know, I may crank out one a day while they're out of town. I got to stay here and take care of the chickens and the dog and the donkeys and the the cats and mow grass and stuff like that while they are going to New York to visit some relatives. But in the meantime, enjoy this little home recording of Jackson Monroe Laird singing tenor And he's singing lead on the verses, and me croaking out the lead on the choruses of New River Train. And I'll talk to y'all next week. Right now with
1: New River Train.